I'm Tori Maguire. I'm Tom Compagnoni. And I'm Josh Butler. We are HuffPost Humans, and hopefully you are too. Welcome to the first episode of our new weekly podcast, HuffPost Humans. This podcast, presented by the HuffPost Australia team, is about how human beings relate to themselves, each other and the world. There'll be no experts, just humans, lots of them. Every Thursday morning we'll land on your favourite podcast platform. If you think you're a HuffPost human, drop us a line at inbox at huffingtonpost.com.au with the word podcast in the subject line. This episode is called In Close Quarters. It's about how people get along with each other when there's not much room to move. Tom and Josh recently spent nine days at Casey Station, the Australian research base on Antarctica. It is one of the most remote places on Earth and the people who live there are a very special breed. Fellas, what was it like for you going all that way and having to stay in a base with people who are there all the time and have to get on with each other no matter what? It was uh, it was a very very sort of weird experience. Um, the the people there, like I say, they are a very sort of special breed. They're very um, very sort of hardy and you know. Um, you know, resilient sort of people, but everyone there that we met was like incredibly friendly, incredibly um, warm and welcoming, and very fun. And most of them are very funny and, and very genuine as well. They were some really interesting people. Um, it's just a very odd sort of station. Like it's in the middle of obviously Antarctica, middle of nowhere. There's just you know, it's right on the coastline. There's icebergs out on the, out on the water. You can see from the from the front door of the uh, of the station there, Casey. This it's called the Big Red Shed, which is where they all stay, and where the accommodation and the sleeping quarters and the rooms and the kitchen and all that sort of thing are um and it's this incredibly comfortable i i keep sort of likening it to like an old sort of style ski lodge or a sort of university dormitory sort of accommodation um they have great meals it's really warm inside it's very comfortable they have playstations they've got movies and they've got pool tables and stuff it's a very comfortable experience in the middle of this desert of, of, of ice it's a very weird very interesting experience yeah. it sounds like an amazing pretty unique place do you think you could live there full-time tom look maybe uh when i was a bit younger um and didn't have a family um yeah i, I think i probably could uh because i quite like you know uh going to remote places which the average person doesn't get an opportunity to go to pretty unique experience um so yeah i think i like i say in my younger days but not not so much now i'm, I'm very happy to have you know, being able to go and spend nine days there. Um, and I'm intrigued at the, at the people who do choose to spend a year or more there. Um, they are a special breed. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy to uh, come back home and have, have my, my regular life and, and creature comforts. So Josh, tell me about the people that we're about to hear from. Um, we spoke to uh, three different people, sort of across the the broad spectrum of uh, Antarctic experience. I guess we spoke to uh, to Lloyd, who's uh, the station doctor there, and he's spent eleven winters in in Antarctica over about forty years, I think. So I think I think he's I think they said he was the most experienced guy that they had down there this time. Um, he's you know been down there for a long period of time. He's seen the the station change from when it was basically sort of very temporary sort of accommodation he says you know just sort of wired to the rocks down there um and sort of seen it grow and get more people there and become more modern and more comfortable um then we spoke to, to Stuart, um who's been down there for a couple of winters i believe um and he is one of the communications sort of radio uh, officers there he's got a family um he's got kids and that sort of thing and he talks a lot about you know um leaving your you know wife behind leaving your young family behind and, and what that sort of means um you know for 
as for someone who spends that sort of time down there for you know for their job. I spoke to to Lauren as well. Lauren had just sort of arrived not much before weed sort of turned up, I think, and she was a uh, Bureau of Meteorology weather forecaster. And again, she's she's a you know younger woman. She's got a partner at home, and she talked a bit about you know. Um, that sort of experience of having a, a partner, leaving that behind, being a young person in Antarctica, giving up nightclubs and going out in cafes and that sort of thing. And yeah, it was a really, they were really three really interesting people to, to chat with, to kind of get a really broad sort of overview of what it's like to live down there. Well, having not seen it myself, it's so hard to imagine. So let's hear from them. Sort of go through the line, tell us your name, I guess, and what you do here as well, your, your title. I'm Lauren Murphy. I'm a weather forecaster here with the Bureau of Meteorology. Um, my role is mainly supporting aviation operations down here across the summer, so the helicopters, the Twin Honours and the Basler flights, as well as the intracontinental Airbus and the C-17. Uh, I'm Stuart Shaw. I'm the Communications Technical Officer, which basically means I look after Facebook. Um, <laughs> I also do secondary roles as fire chief and as station photographer. Uh, this is my third time of coming to Antarctica, so I've been around a while. Lloyd Fletcher, I'm the doctor here, or one of the two doctors here for summer. I've been here before, <clears throat> going back 30 years ago, so it's interesting to see the changes, both in the place geographically and in the uh, nature of Antarctic living. And I've got a cold. <laughs> so I guess on that on that question, you know, um, how did you all first come down here in the first place? What was behind your decision to actually come to Antarctica the the first time that you came down here? Oh, for me, Antarctica is like the the final frontier for weather forecasting. It's because of the scarcity of observations, um, the restricted bandwidth, um, yeah, and. Yeah, you're just as remote as it gets, basically. So I uh, embraced the challenge. Yeah, I have to agree with the uh, the remoteness bit. I think for me, I've always sort of sought out very distant, remote locations to go and live and work in. So this is pretty much the ultimate, apart from going to the moon. So, um, yeah, picked this one and signed up as soon as I could, really. Yep, I'd second or third that. Um, it's one of the most remote places you can get. You have to work and be independent <clears throat> and uh, I've always, like Stuart, uh, worked in remote areas and that's what attracted me here. It might be a bit of a different question for you Lloyd because you know things have changed so, so much over the time since you've been here but what were all your first impressions when you when you first actually arrived here? Like you know you had to apply to get down here and you sort of had a basic vague sort of idea of what things would be like but you know when you actually got down here for the first time once you you know started settling into your living quarters and that sort of thing what, what were your thoughts when you when you first sort of arrived? Uh, it was all a bit surprising. When I was a medical student, I thought I'd like a trip to the Antarctic, so I wrote to the Antarctic Division and asked if they would take a student down for summer, and they wrote a very nice letter back, sort of patting me on the head and said, there, there, Sonny, apply when you're a real doctor. But they were really, really very nice. They sent me papers of research and they said, consider us later. And uh, some years later, when I did apply to come down, I got phoned by the boss man at that time, Des Lug, Dr Lug, who said, I remember you, you applied when you were a student. And he said, I'm really sorry to tell you this, we've got three days for a ship leaving and there's no doctor, will you get your appendix out and get on that ship? Wow. So it was all a bit sudden and I came down to the Antarctic. I went to Davis Station 
uh, on the last ship. And as I say, it was all terribly exciting and it was all overwhelming. But I must re re recall that when the ship sailed, that day made you think, good grief, there's no way out of here for nine months. There's no outside help. That was a bit frightening. But then uh, you quickly settle into it. And the type of people they get down here, I have to compliment the expeditioners. People do get together here and work to benefit each other, I think. They work as a team. Yeah, we'll, we'll sort of go into that sort of feeling, I guess, in a minute. But, you know, how, how about yourself, Stu, when you, when you and yourself, Lauren, as well, when you guys first sort of came down here, what were your initial thoughts? How, what, did you, what did you think when you finally arrived? I think, to be honest, even before that, I was quite surprised that I ended up getting on to the, the sort of people who were coming down here. Because, you know, there's a lot of people who apply for this. There's sort of 3,000 people a year or whatever it is. I mean, I'm not exactly sure of the figures. So you don't think you've actually got a lot of chance. And then you're told you're coming. It's like, wow, how am I going to... What's going to go wrong before I get down here to just stop me coming? You know, and then you finally get here and, you know, you can relax a little bit. But then you get into the role of the job yourself and you realise that it's absolute pandemonium. A lot of the time you're very, very busy. Um, yeah, I, I was quite initially shocked, I suppose, at how well we're catered for. I sort of half expected to be in a polar pyramid out in the middle of nowhere freezing to death for every day and you know it's, it's, it's actually quite you know well catered for here you know it's not it's like being on a holiday camp sometimes but I don't tell everybody because they all want to come. Um, yeah no it's uh, yeah quite surprising in those aspects I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Similar to, to Stu I felt a bit incredulous that I'd, I'd even got a job down here. I've been trying for four years and uh, my hope, my hopes were beginning to, to fade that I'd even make it. Um, and I, I kept going, is this real? Is this real? Mm. And when I got off the plane, I was absolutely elated. I, I just, yeah, incredulous. Like, I was like, fuck, I'm in Antarctica? Is this really happening? And like, the wind was blowing about 30 knots and it was like lifting ice crystals into the air and I just had to like, pinch myself. It's a bit of a privilege at the end of the day, you know, you know, I know certainly from people in the past who I've met who have been down here many years ago that they were either doctors or scientists or people with a very lot of far higher education than myself who come come down here and you know to come down here and actually think oh I'm not just doing science they're doing other things as well they need to maintain the stations you know there are other purposes to coming down here so yeah. so sort of moving off to that point obviously you know, when you make the decision to come down here, you commit yourself for X number of months, four months, you know, 12 months, however long it is. Were they hard decisions to make to sort of, you know, to lock, not lock yourself, but, you know, to kind of um, sort of lock yourself into staying down here for so long? You know, you leave behind family and friends and, you know, basically, like, you know, opportunities to go to the pub and go for a, you know, go outside, watch a football game or something like that. Were they hard decisions to make to, um, to, to lock yourself into something like that? I didn't find them hard at all because, as I say, I'd travelled a lot and I'd worked in isolated areas. <clears throat> I was really looking forward to coming down here and I wasn't married, you know, for the first several times I came down here, so that was no problem. Uh, but what did amaze me is something you alluded to. Friends of mine said, gee, we're so envious of you going down there. And one friend said, oh, I applied. You know, I got as far as the interviews... But I just couldn't go. I couldn't go away from my girlfriends and the hotels and that sort of thing. I couldn't leave it. And I thought, well, people are different. I could leave that and it's not a big deal. There's a social life down here. There's a living life down here. 
I had no hesitations. I did feel a bit bit guilty that I had absolutely no qualms about about leaving my partner. Um, but we had talked about it, and he knew like how desperately I I wanted to come. So he was really understanding and supportive of me. Um, and part of the guilt was knowing that if the roles were reversed. Not sure I would have been so gracious in being abandoned for four months, but I'm only down for the summer, so I, I think it's just it's going to fly past. Um, and uh, I thought if I don't like it, and that was a very small if. It's it's just four months. It's not forever. Yeah. Um, so I've got the light version, I think. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I know my first time coming down south I did the full winter so I knew when I was applying which was sort of I guess a year in advance you know I'd had the discussion with my wife oh you know do you mind if I go to Antarctica for a year yeah, yeah don't worry about it, go for it. <laughs> you know um, so we'd gone through that already so when the interview process has started to escalate and you get to a stage where this actually might happen you know the, the, we're both aware as a couple and we've obviously got two children as well what's going on and um, you know they're excited for me as much as you know they know I'm going away they're quite pleased that I'm going to go and do something that I really want to do so yeah I don't think anything was really a problem it wasn't a case of um, them not knowing they knew the process all the way through and of course when I went you know yeah of course you get your sad goodbyes and all the rest of it but you know they're quite pleased with what I'm doing and well aware of the 12 months I'm going to be away yeah um, you build up to it I think yeah yeah I agree yeah and the thing is if your wife or partner agrees to it my wife I don't think she hesitated <laughs> but, but the point is it's all relative <clears throat> I look back at Captain Cook sailing around the world he was away for two years at a time and he did several voyages of that duration and there's no such thing as email or contact and his wife's got to live and live on his naval pension and look after the kids, not knowing whether he'll be home for two years. So down here with our emails and our iPods, etc., telephone calls, that's not really a great deprivation, I don't think. I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you a question specifically, Lloyd. You've come down here. Is this your eleventh time? When, when was the first time you came down here? And and how have you seen station life? Have you seen things change in in your you know different voyages down here over the years? I first came down in seventy eight, and the stations then were very primitive. They were sort of temporary accommodation, guy wired onto bare rock. And uh, toilet facilities were basic. Washing facilities were once a fortnight. You're allowed to have two buckets of ice, which you melted, and that was your washing for your clothes and your washing for your shower. Um, toilets were what they called destroylets, where you burned everything. Um, it's it's just been interesting to see uh, the changes over the years. I was here in Casey in 1986. You might have seen the uh, old station ruins down there. The station was like several buildings running down a hill connected by a tunnel, and that's what the place was called, the tunnel. Uh, when I went to Davis, you had three days a week of snow shoveling to fill the, uh, the boiler to make uh, water for the kitchen and so forth. Nowadays, it's a little bit easier than that. <laughs> So, so question, I guess, for all three of you, what, what's station life like here? You know, run us through some of the things that, that station life is all about, you know, where, 
you know we, we've been staying here in some of the rooms and obviously the the kitchen's well stocked the bar's well stocked you know we've, it, it's a it's a nice life sort of down here what run us through what station life's all about yeah, it's just, I mean, as I said earlier, it's very we're very well catered for, uh, which keeps the morale high in most situations. But of course, uh, having wintered myself, it's long periods of time in close proximity with the same people for nearly, especially the, the eight month core period between the summers. Um, yeah, it can be quite interesting. You know, you get to know each other very, very well, better than probably some of your family uh, for that time. Um, you make some good friends, you make some not so good friends, it's, uh, you've got to be honest about it, but I think, you know, you all cope with each other, you, you have no choice, you've got to put up with each other, and uh, that's what it's about, yeah, it's it's uh, interesting. <laughs> How about you, Lauren, obviously your first few weeks sort of settling in, have you found it so far? Uh, I must confess, when I, I saw my room, which is probably, I don't know, two and a half metres by two and a half metres, I was like, oh crap, how am I going to survive in here um, for four months? Um, but now I love it. I've hung up my photos, brought some fairy lights down, got some essential oils to put in my humidifier, um, and it's like my little sanctuary. Um, I'm not doing it properly, am I? No. <laughs> didn't bring fairy no, lights? No, I didn't bring any oils, no. Yeah, because I don't have a window, um, and I'm a weather forecaster, so I need to see outside. Um, that's okay, I can uh, pull up the, the webcam. Um, and just check how my forecasts are going. Isn't that amazing? Um, Sitting in a closed room in yeah. Antarctica, pulling up a webcam to see what's <laughs> happening outside yeah. with the weather. How lazy is that? It does yeah. seem kind of lazy, but I like to check the weather a lot. <laughs> and you know, we're, we're open, glad you do. Open and close these doors to, to get everywhere. Um, so I've got about eight doors that I need to open and close very quietly to you know to take take care of the other shift workers as well, um, just to get to um, the other end of, yeah, to get to the mess hall. So that's that's my exercise, is like lifting these heavy fire doors and going upstairs, mm. and it's just, yeah, just to get a glass of water or go to the toilet. Um, yeah. What is it like living in such close quarters here? Because you know, you, you've got, you know, something like 100 people all in here, you're all room to room to room, you know, in, in the, I guess, you know, maybe not the thickest sort of walls. What's, what's it like sort of living back in sort of like a, I guess, like a university dormitory style sort of accommodation. What's that like? The challenges? Uh, I was warned when I came here that, well, I wasn't warned exactly, but I was told it's like school camp, but with alcohol. <laughs> and um, I thought, well, that sounds pretty fun. Um, and I've got some really lovely neighbours, um, so I'm not having too many issues. I am, my room is on the way to the coal porch, so this is sort of peak hour in the morning, sort of I guess seven till eight o'clock when all the tradies are going in and out and some of them aren't as great as closing the door at, at, as others. Um, so when I'm trying to sleep in for a later shift, sort of yeah. have that it, little interim. <laughs> it, it, it's a bit of luck of the draw. Uh, like you said, the, the section, the buildings are divided into sections and the section I'm in, we just seem to have uh, seven or eight pretty quiet people and I have no trouble sleeping. I don't hear doors slam, any problem. <clears throat> but uh, for the listener, there are big doors that require two hands to open and close them um, without slamming them. And you can slam them and, of course, that echoes through the building and that creates a lot of dissent. Many people who are Attention. yeah, many people who are shift workers, even people who aren't, do get upset by the doors slamming. 
but I personally am very lucky. I'm in an area that everybody gets yeah. by. Nobody interrupts anyone else. They're all very quiet. It's always Maybe been one of those old. things, isn't it? The, 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 the door slamming has always been one of the primary points that's drilled into you before you come down here. So you're very conscious of the fact that when you open and close a door, you could be... Um, killing three penguins or you know, <laughs> it, it feels like it because there's a baby lot of penguins. angst yeah baby penguins, baby penguins yeah, uh, yeah. We, we sort of know that's not to be done it's a small community you upset people it causes big waves so don't do it <laughs> or learn yeah. the hard way yeah and it does seem to upset some people some people don't sleep well down here yeah. they wake at every single noise and i feel uh, sorry for them but uh, <clears throat> there's not a great deal you can do about that if you're a, no, you that go. sort of sleeper. You've yeah. got to either change room if you can. I must admit, it's um, apart from the rooms, as I say, ours is very quiet, very hospitable. Uh, meals are uh, an exposure to the reality of life here. There's 91 people on the base at the moment. Or, well, maybe a couple are up at Wilkins, but 91 people here at Casey. And that's a lot of people to feed and clean up after mealtimes. You've seen yourselves. Um, that can be a bit of a trial. And when you have your turn as slushy, that's dish pig or kitchen hand, when you have your turn at slushy, by God, you're glad when the day ends, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's one of the busiest days I think you yeah. have, isn't it? It's... Uh, because the sink's so low as well, you're bent over into it, putting your back in an awkward position, well, I am. Mm. And, uh, so, yeah, I end up going to bed with backache at the end of the year. Oh, tisk tisk. That's terrible. <laughs> That's why I don't spend much time in the kitchen for obvious reasons. But, uh, yeah, it's a busy day, busy day, quite hectic, but it goes quickly, I think. And we get to do that sort of, what, once a month, once yeah. every 20 days, so it's not too bad. It's bad. Yeah, and don't forget these Huffington Post guys, both of them have done slushy. So that's a good introduction for you guys. There you go. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, you, you've brought up a few good points that I want to kind of expand on them in a little bit. But while we're on a topic, what are some of the other sort of big challenges of, of living here? Maybe not, you know, obviously there's, you know, the people and the meals and cleaning up and that sort of thing. But I guess there'd be feelings of isolation, you know, lack of internet access, you know, maybe like issues along those sort of lines. What are some of the biggest challenges that, that you've sort of found living here? What are some of the challenges that... Um, that other people have. Uh, so, so have pick me. <laughs> pick me, sir. I think we could all say something like that. <laughs> yeah, look, um, I'm not saying this really as a criticism because, you know, time goes by. <clears throat> but there's a big difference between 1978 and 88 and 98 and so forth through till now uh, in what you're allowed to do. Hmm. Nowadays, when you come down here, you really are not allowed to cross the road, wipe your bum, pick your nose without having the induction and a signed <laughs> piece of paper. And that, that is, I understand it, I understand the number of people, I understand the Antarctic Division has to look after itself and look after people, occupational health and safety. But that is a big change that has occurred, and it has occurred even in the last three years since I was last here. I've seen more and more uh, inductions, and you guys have probably been through that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, agree, I'll agree with that as well. I mean, you can see certainly see that you know the company has to cover itself by making sure everything's been covered. But at the mm, same time, you do it. feel you're losing that ability to look after yourself. You know, we all come down here as sort of hardened expeditioners who should know a little bit better, but it doesn't always feel like that. But uh, yeah. I mean, it was funny you were saying about this, this, the effects of isolation and just sort of coming aside there. I think I love coming down here. I love the people down here. The type of people you work with are fantastic. We're all very energetic. There's a lot of things going on. I think the only 
problem with the isolation here would be if something were to happen at home. I think mm. that is the main time when you can't do anything. You're helpless, you're hopeless, you can't do anything for your family, friends back home. Um, you know, you're here, whether you like it or not, for that duration. Summer's not so bad because you can possibly get a flight home, get out fairly quickly. Uh, winter, you are you're here, here for the for winter. I'm here for winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you, you're here for that duration and it's virtually impossible to get people out in the depths of winter without and a lot of lot of logistics in the background to get people out. So that, that would be a real hardship. I haven't had that happen, fortunately, touch wood. Um, I have seen it happen to other people and, you know, it can be quite hard for them. But, yeah, yeah that, that would be terrible. And I recall a case where a, uh, a woman... Uh, developed cancer right throughout her body mm. uh, at one of the bases and it was late April, early May and our ships had well and truly gone. Yeah. Um, there was a Russian ship in the area about 200 miles away and they had big choppers. So they flew in courteously, picked her up, took her out, dropped her in South Africa, mm -hmm. Cape Town, from where she was flown to Australia. Uh, but she was a vital member of the team and just what a tragic start to the year for her and for the rest of the team but at least she got home even though uh, it was a month and a half into our winter yeah no, like, like you say there i think it's all on our minds if you're here for the duration it can happen we our families at home you know that can happen they understand that it can happen as well but it doesn't stop you coming here i think if you stop no. living by coming away and doing stuff like this then you don't enjoy yourself at all i think that's all our general opinions but yeah how about you, Lauren? What are some of the challenges? Um, do you think there are there any other sort of challenges? Do you think you sort of uh, face so far? I haven't been challenged terribly. People cook my meals. Got mm. to do like <laughs> a couple of you know cleaning duties on a Saturday. Um, I'm a bit introverted. I think um, just escaping people uh, has been a bit of a challenge. Um, but um, I've got my bolt hole of a room um, <laughs> where I can get away from it all. Um, I miss trees. I miss green things. There's moss around here though, so I'm looking forward to the melt. And um, yeah, the moss is known as the Dane tree of Antarctica. So, you know, I've got big expectations about, <laughs> about this moss. Um, but yeah, it's all been just exciting and shiny and new for me yeah, so far. On the flip side, what are some of the best things about living down here? Obviously, you know, maybe more on you guys. You know, you've come down a couple of times at least, you know. What are some of the, the best things about living here? And, you know, what are some of the best things you've found so far about living here? Yeah. Scenery, <laughs> Where do we start? Scenery. The scenery, uh, the, be animals. the beauty of Antarctica. The You know, just Antarctica. It's amazing. It's an amazing place. You're here with some great people. Again, I go on about the people a lot because I think they they are what make your experience here. Yep. I do a job where I, yep, I still do nine to five, I suppose, but um, it's certainly way more interesting than any job I'd have at home and uh, I'm not particularly good at being in an office. So uh, coming and working here really suits me um, and just the lifestyle, yeah, love it. Just to see the size and majesty of acts of nature, mm. like the snow, the ice plateau, we land on a mile thick of ice and down in our front yard we've got ice cliffs 50 meters high plunging into sea and there's a bunch of icebergs which i could almost see now if it wasn't snowing out there it certainly um, shows how insignificant we are really. it, it reminds you of that constantly what a planet yep yeah sometimes i have to get up really early for my shifts so the other day i was up at three and the alarm went off and i was like oh god 
<laughs> 3 a.m. Um, and then I stepped outside, and in that time of day, got this beautiful low light, and it was it was lighting up icebergs outside my front door. So I had to slap myself. Because <laughs> oh, 3 a.m. in Antarctica is not so bad. Yeah. So yeah, that's just mind blowing for me. Fantastic. Um, you, you've all of you sort of mentioned that the the sort of people that that come down here. Um, I guess the community spirit. You know, everyone gets along well. You mostly gets along well and cooperates and that sort of thing. Um, what what is the community like down here? You know, how do people interact? How do they get on? How do they cooperate? Those sort of things. It's a very good. It's one of the few places in the world I think where you can have sort of a, a world renowned scientist sitting down with a plumber for dinner and they having you know the plumber educating the scientist um, it's sort of that there's a lot of information sharing a lot of people educating each other on what they do and general interest in what we all have going on because we all depend on each other absolutely depend on every source of uh, resource or person down here we are absolutely vital so um, there's a respect for each other in that those terms and yeah just a willingness to learn um, I think it's, it's yeah we, we do a lot of classes we teach each other things we it's quite mad sometimes actually it's good though you said it man that's exactly right <laughs> everybody gets on well i don't know whether it's that people come here with an expectation and knowledge of uh, the fact they're going to be living together and they make an effort or whether it's uh, part of the psychological selection process we all go through a mm. psychological selection progress uh, process Maybe you two Huffington Post gentlemen didn't. <laughs> You'd bypass someone to do. Um, but I, I sometimes think, well, by gee, that works because people do tend to make an effort down here to get on well. You have to. Yeah, you've got a vested interest in getting along it's with everyone. It's in your interest, really, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, if you don't make the effort, I think it's... it's. I wouldn't say it's known. I don't think you'd isolate anybody if they didn't make the effort, but the, you certainly picked out its ability to socialise with others and be helpful and courteous and just try and maintain a nice atmosphere amongst everybody. Yeah. Obviously <laughs> there are, you know, there's social events that are down here. You've got, you've got the band club, you've got, you know, the movie nights, you've got this snowman building competition outside, that sort of thing. How... Those sort of things, is it, is it sort of morale boosting? Is it, is it nice that there are these sort of, you know, semblances of, of, you know, real life sort of still happening down here? You know, you get together and learn a musical instrument or you go out and do the skiing class or all those sort of things. Are, there, are, those, are those good, fun, nice things to have down here as well? Again, it's the morale boosting side of things. Um, you certainly need something to look forward to in the work. So if someone puts something up on the board, you see there's an activity happening in a week's time, etc. Give something or people everything to work towards. I think, um, and again, so I talk about winter, but um, we certainly would have events throughout winter every sort of six to eight weeks or so. And, of course, the main event of winter, which is the midwinter um, days celebrations, uh, the build-up to that, the costumes that people make that spend weeks and months putting together just the enthusiasm with each other to make it a really good day is, uh, again, morale-boosting, good, uh, good team-building stuff. I, yeah. I love it. Like, yeah, uh, like today I had... Like a, a Swedish person and a Canadian person teaching me how to cross-country ski for free on my day off. <laughs> it's another surreal experience, like I'm um, cross-country skiing like in Antarctica. It was really good. It was like slow-mo running. I was just like... But every time I tried to talk talk to someone and ski at the same time, that's when I fell over. How many times do you fall over? Twice. 
Oh, same as me. That's not bad. That's I'm doing okay. That's a bit different from what I've heard. I thought women could do two things at once, talk and drive or ski or walk. Yeah, I could ski and fall over. <laughs> Maybe you're doing three. You were looking at the weather. That's what yeah. it was. <laughs> yes, you're a Is this blowing snow or drifting snow? <laughs> um, yeah. It's drifting out there now. Are there any sort of are there any sort of qualities that an Antarctic expeditioner has or needs to have? Do you think? What are some of the the, the personality traits or, or sort of qualities that are pretty common across the station? Dedication to their job, yeah. and maybe a sense of humour and tolerance of others. I think yeah. you'll have to ask our psychological evaluator to really come up with the real plan. So it worries me sometimes when I see some of us popping out for a beer in the evening, what they wear or what they're doing. Um, no, I do agree. It's, uh, yeah, tolerance, I think, probably the main one, isn't it? Yeah, tolerance, conscientious, I think open, open to new experiences, mm. open to new ideas. Yeah. I don't know, what do you guys think? Yeah. <laughs> You've seen us. Yeah, you uh, would you say that, you know, things like flexibility, I guess, creativity, uh, yeah. you know, a, a sort of easygoing nature are pretty important as well. Like, you know, we, we've spoken to a lot of people and, you know, there'll be days where you're snowed in for a few days or, you know, your machinery breaks down or your plane gets delayed or whatever that is. Is it important that people are pretty flexible, easygoing, those sort of things? Resilient. I guess is yeah. a, a good positive word. approach to things. I think if you if you had a whole bunch of negative people here that would quickly snowball, excuse the pun, <laughs> would snowball into a negative um, mood around the station. There's very rarely that. There's always a good lot of positivity here, even in bad times. You know, you get things done, you do it well. Yeah, I've never seen that side of uh, behaviour on any Antarctic station myself. It, I'm sure it must have happened, but I've never seen it. Do you do you feel as though you know there is that feeling because you all sort of are working towards I guess a common goal, like you're all sort of working towards the advancement of science and knowledge and and that sort of thing down here in Antarctica. Do you feel like that's a bit of a, a, a unifier, the fact that you're all down here for for one sort of big purpose? I'd like to hope so. Yeah, certainly. Um Again, I think you don't want to be the negative person on station anyway. You want to be that positive person that mixes with a group with positive people, so hopefully you, you, you stay with that flow. Uh, but, yeah, certainly science is something you're aware of when you come down here, and, yeah, we'd all like to be a part of that. It's nice to go out and help with something that's meaningful, you hope. Um, rather than your day-to-day just earning money for a company, you know, it's good to come down here and sort of think that what we're doing is, is proving useful to the planet. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I'd say absolutely, like the united for a shared goal mm. I think the end result is greater than the sum of its parts yeah, yeah. warm fuzzy feelings yeah no I agree with Laurie and I think that's well put the entire the whole is greater than the sum of its parts yeah um, and I, I want to go back to something I wanted to ask a, a while ago, but it's sort of you know on a different sort of track. Um, do you, when you tell people out what's actually down here, and when you sort of came to hear yourself, were you surprised at how comfortable this place was? At the fact that you've got a pool table and you've got a PlayStation, you've got a video room, and you've got you know this great kitchen and that sort of thing. Do you think people would be surprised when they hear about how how actually nice it is? To leave? I said you're not you're not living in these pyramid tents, like you're living in quite a comfortable sort of space. Do you think people are surprised by that, or, or were you surprised by that? I think most people are just interested in what's outside of the research station. No one's asked, so you know, is your pillow fluffy, or you know, what's yeah. Most people are like, what's it like outside, and how many penguins have you seen? Um, 
yeah, I haven't really had to reflect on the uh, yeah the state of the accommodation, but it is excellent. Yeah, I, I think first time I came out, it was almost a level of disappointment from my stage because I was sort of really wanted it to be, you know, I'm from an outdoors background, I really wanted it to be quite hardcore and intense and, uh, you know, we're sitting there watching movies in the evening, uh, which is a little <laughs> bit different from what I expected. But, you know, the, you, then you quickly realise it's not the environment the harshness of the weather that's actually the bit that necessarily is the hardship the bit is where you're all living with each other for such a long time that your sort of mental stability throughout that time i think that's the actual test um but yeah no no people yeah they tend to just look at the nice photos you put on facebook and just go oh, it looks lovely um when you're coming home <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah life goes on in every part of the Absolutely. world and all your friends and all your family are interested in what you're doing here um but at least, as you alluded to a while ago, you've got your sanctuary, your bolt hole you can go to. If you feel overwhelmed by the number of people at every meal or in using the washing machine or whatever, um, so you can have privacy down here. Maybe privacy is the hardest thing to gain down here. Mm. Can you tell us in a few little sentences what you guys think, seeing you come down here, flowing down, driven down, been out camping, slept in the snow, cooked, washed up. What do you guys think of the place? It's um, it, it's very different to what I thought it would be, to be honest. It, it, it's um, it, it sort of opened my eyes. I've, I've said this to a few people, but it's been very eye-opening, sort of being down here. Like, not just from a sort of nature, environmental sort of standpoint. You know, you go out and you just look at the 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 vista, I guess, and it's just flat as far as you can see in sort of every direction. But just the fact that everyone sort of here pulls together a lot. Um, and I, I wasn't sort of, I didn't really appreciate that before I sort of came down here. Like, just the fact you'd be sitting there at dinner and like someone will come up and just start talking to you, or you know, you finish your plate and someone will just someone will just walk up and go, oh look, I'll grab your plate for you and take it to the to the washing up and that sort of thing. Like, those sort of really small things, I think, really sort of opened my eyes a lot to show you know, you guys are all down here and you're all pulling together. And sometimes it's because it's really great. Sometimes even a really good time. Sometimes it's not so great, and you kind of you only kind of got yourselves to sort of rely on and each other to sort of rely on. You sort of all had to band so together in a way. So living, yeah. it's I think the acceptance that you guys, I'm assuming, the acceptance you guys have felt or what I've seen, um, must give you a little insight into the camaraderie and uh, tolerance that's exhibited in clo such close living as this yeah definitely yeah definitely that's definitely been one of the, the biggest sort of overriding feelings i think that definitely myself and i'm sure tom would would agree as well um yeah everyone sort of pulls together everyone's very lovely everyone is yeah so friendly and so welcoming and all this sort of thing has been over here really fantastic um few days for us down here already it's been awesome we'll change as soon as you <laughs> As soon as you get on the plane, that's it. We'll all yes. start bitching about each other again. And back to normal. Uh, is there anything else? Um, you know, is there anything else you think people back, you know, back in Australia would want like to know? Is there any other sort of final thoughts you'd like to, to share with anyone? I know a lot of family members, people's wives or husbands, uh, have wanted to come down here and say particularly in medicine you know my wife's a nurse so she wants to come down here as my nurse but there aren't always jobs um it would be good if couples could come down and it has happened on a few occasions it's been a couple of met people or there might be a, a doctor and a station leader husband and wife team um it's a bit of a pity that numbers are so restricted in accommodation and everything's restricted but that's the way it is. We're the privileged few. 
It's a very good point, actually. It would be fantastic to be able to bring family and friends down here just for a day to say, this is where I work, this is what I do. They can't really, you know, you can show them photos, you can, pictures of penguins and all the rest of it, but that's not what it's about here. It's, um, you know, it's the whole community, as you've already pointed out, and, and, and how we all get on with each other. It, it's, you can't show people necessarily, you know? That's uh, why we keep coming back. It's the vibe. The vibe, not a good word. <laughs> vibe, there you go. I have thought of one. One question, yeah, and then we better let you guys go. Um, what's it? Is it challenging readjusting to life yes. back home? Um, you know, this is becomes your life here, and you you learn to live so well together here, and 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 then going back home, people, all the experience that you've gained here, and the way that you've learned to live here, a lot of that probably becomes irrelevant in sort of normal day-to-day life when you're interacting with people who have no idea about what's here and it's just a completely different way of life. On returning to Australia, I don't think I've really come across any problems. Like uh, the first time I went back, I got off the ship in Melbourne, having never been to Melbourne before, and someone gave me their car and I'd had to drive into Melbourne City. It didn't seem as if I'd been away a year. Um, the only only thing I might miss is the privilege and luxury, if you could call it that, of living in Antarctica where your food's provided, your warmth, your heating, your bedding, your clothing, your work site. Those things uh, you miss, they're all provided for you. But returning home I don't think is too much of a struggle. Hey, I wouldn't call it a struggle so much, but I certainly noticed the differences. Um, the little things like, uh, I, the example I can remember is the first time we all stepped off the ship, uh, we were sat at the airport waiting to go home, about 10 of us who'd done a year and a half down, down at Davis Station, and uh, a fly landed on someone's leg. And of course we haven't seen flies for a year and a half. We all sat there chasing it around the airport for about an hour and realised how daft we looked. <laughs> And, you know, you, then you start to notice everybody wandering around with their face in their mobile phone, which, of course, we, we do have them here now, but we didn't then, and that's quite interesting. Little things like grass, getting home, getting a cold for the first time again after a year, you know, that's quite harsh. Um, and just going to social occasions where everybody's just mocking you and thinking you're going to run off with a penguin somewhere. It's all, every joke's about penguins. Every joke. I don't know, yeah, yeah, something like that. But okay. every joke's about penguins. It's boring after a while. Okay. <laughs> You've fed up with those jokes. But, yeah, it's, it takes a little while to adjust. Not too long. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, we're, we're fairly used to, adapt to being adaptable. But, um, yeah, it can be interesting. <laughs> how about you, Lauren? How do you think you've been sort of going back to your life and your partner and stuff back at home? Um, well, I told my partner that I was looking forward to... Um, seeing him again even before I left <laughs> so I was getting a bit ahead of myself um, I must admit like the first week I was here I was like I have to find a way to get back again like I want to come back um, I, I don't think I'll have too much trouble like I said I'm only here for four months so hopefully life doesn't change too much in that time one very 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 final one you remind me of it Lloyd um, are there station romances that's the thing some people might want to know about. Do we are we seeing station two people who have come here not know each other, made up a couple, like are we seeing those sort of things happening? Is that common? Uh, we possibly we can't possibly give that information away. Obviously what stays on tour, you know. No no. <laughs> um yes of course that does happen. I, I happen to know a, a couple of friends back home who are who are now a couple having met down at Davis Station and yeah, it happens. I think um 
Yeah, yeah good, there was a couple. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's the same couple. We'll talk about this after the interview. But <laughs> there was a couple at uh, Davis who I know um, who fell in love and uh, got married. Not that they legally could get married, but the station leader performed a wedding ceremony yeah. out on the ice in front of the ice cliffs. He wore uh, the groom wore a dinner suit, and the bride had a, a proper bridal gown. They got married on the ice. Great photos. <laughs> yeah, there would be. Fantastic. Um, thank you guys so much. It's been great to, to hear about Station Life. All good, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much, Tom and Josh. We hope that you enjoyed this first episode of HuffPost Humans. In next week's episode, Being 14, we sit down with three teenagers who give us the lowdown on everything from first kisses to schoolyard politics. Some parents may be too afraid to listen to this, but they really should. You can subscribe to HuffPost Humans in the iTunes store or find it on our website, huffingtonpost.com.au. And if you think you're a HuffPost human, drop us a line at inbox at huffingtonpost.com.au with the word podcast in the subject line. Thanks for listening. Listener.